I'm very excited to have Jake as today's guest. Jake and I met in college and he knows a ton about augmented reality, AR, virtual reality, VR, mixed reality, MR, and whatever else permutation of virtual reality exists in this world. So yeah, thanks for joining Jake. I'm really excited to have you on this. Happy to be here. Jake studied computer science and economics and after undergrad worked at an entertainment marketing agency in VR, R&D and product manager roles where he developed virtual reality technologies and content to promote major films like Spider-Man, Ghostbusters, and First Man. So he is now the Senior Executive Director of Innovation and Technology at a firm where he leads the VR development for this product called Virtuosi. And this is a B2B educational product for training operators in virtual manufacturing and lab spaces, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry. And of course, all views are Jake's own and are not reflective of any of his current or former employers. Okay, great. So let's get started. So Jake, you got into AR and VR right out of undergrad in around 2015. So we kind of dated you there, but it's okay. Um, and honestly, I don't think it was a huge trend then, especially compared to today. Meta's rebrand happened in late 2021 when they went from Facebook to Meta. And that really launched it, at least from my perspective, into mainstream media in 2021 and all of 2022 last year. So definitely correct me if I'm wrong about this perception, but I feel as though you entered into the space a fair bit early. Um, so I'm really curious on just whether in, in undergrad or out of undergrad, like how did you find out about this ARVR space? Why did you start out in it so early? Just in general, how did you know about it? And why have you stayed mm -hmm. ever since? Yeah. So I think that's a pretty fair characterization. I do think, especially for folks who are in the space or like adjacent spaces, so entertainment or interactive media, so like game development, I would say the first, I mean, it's interesting. Facebook's kind of been in the center of this for quite a long time. The first major like surge in kind of hype was when Facebook, still when mm -hmm. they were Facebook, uh, announced that they were acquiring Oculus. They were kind of like the first large player to invest significantly in what I'll call like the modern era of VR. There's a lot of people out there who would rightfully point to the fact that there's plenty of tech quite older than an Oculus that was virtual reality, but the kind of modern consumer-facing trying to become readily available VR, I would say there's definitely two waves of it. I, as an undergrad, I got an opportunity to play with the tech. I actually had done my first playing in VR at hackathons. Hackathons are basically, a lot of them are organized when you're in college through undergrad programs, but it's you and a bunch of friends get together at this event and come up with an idea at the beginning of the event and develop an entire idea from beginning to end over the course of like one long weekend. While I was an undergrad, I was got to go to a lot of hackathons, which gave me the opportunity to get together with a group of friends and mm -hmm. bash on a project for a weekend. And that was very early days for VR. And so there was a lot of like prototype, the early Oculus dev kits were available. So we got to play with those. I was actually in a position prior to VR really busting onto the scene. And so what ended up happening is I was working in their gaming segment, right? So working on creating advertisements and trailers for video games. And the Oculus Dev Kit 2 was coming out and they're like, this is really cool. What can we do with it? 
Jake go and play with it. So I think my big advice is with like trend spotting and stuff, sometimes people get a little too fixated on trying to identify like what the next thing is. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to be open and when presented with the opportunity to start playing with something new, just lean into it, especially in tech, that's kind of important. So I was able to kind of start working in it before it became a big hype cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I also will say it's weird. I personally, it was actually kind of a problem for me because I I started working it and then it started to get really hyped. Mm -hmm. And I was really concerned because I I didn't want to become like the VR guy, like quote unquote, (laughs) yeah, because that was so frothy and after going through some cycles on it, you know, it's really when you actually want to build good product and care about experience and all of that, uh, you can survive those boom and bust Got type cycles. Yeah. So, so maybe give a little bit of background here. Um, are you more focused on AR or VR or MR? Maybe you can give a little foundational mm-hmm. context there. That would be helpful. Sure. Yeah. So virtual reality is probably where I spend the majority of my time the core distinction between those three virtual reality is really when you're talking about completely immersing somebody in a 100% virtual environment. Mm-hmm. So your headphones, your visual, right? Whether it's a, some sort of heads up display or a dome screen or whatever it is, when you're in virtual reality, the objective is to completely transport you into some virtual reality, some completely virtual simulated space. Augmented reality is really about supplementing or augmenting actual physical reality around you. So something like Google Glass or the Microsoft HoloLens tries to give you a pass-through video or or a pass-through perspective through like a, a lens of the world around you as it is, and then superimpose audio and visual elements into that reality to try and augment it in some way. This also sort of gets a little muddy because there's a lot of things, kind of the pinnacle of the AR hype was Pokemon Go. A lot of people would contest whether or not Pokemon Go was really augmented reality because it didn't really leverage the context of Mm. your reality. It just sort of superimposed a virtual world onto Mm. a reality. And then mixed reality is a probably the most ambiguous of those. People use MR or XR um, in a lot of different ways. I will say the place I most frequently use mixed reality is we capture, for example, for our product, it's very difficult to convey to somebody what virtual reality content is like without mm-hmm. putting them in the headset. But we we do is you can capture somebody with a physical camera in a physical environment on a green screen and then superimpose them into a virtual environment, the same virtual environment they're seeing in virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And it gives you this kind of mixed reality perspective where you can see the physical user with the controller, but then you can also see their virtual hand interacting with the virtual object. So oftentimes when I use mixed reality, that's most oftentimes how I'm, how I'm using that. Okay, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, it's interesting to see all these different types permutations and what companies are focusing on which ones right so i think there's mm-hmm. there's so much out there that it's interesting to see it categorized but also there's there's kind of a lot of different options yeah mm-hmm. so maybe give us a little context on what exactly you do in either your past role with those 
major movies and how and was that AR or VR? And then mm-hmm. maybe also today and you're more that so that was a little more consumer and now you're in a more B2B space. Like what exactly do you do? Not necessarily day to day or week week by week, but what are kind of the key activities that you're in charge of and, and, and try to drive? And is it more technical because of your computer science background or is it more commercial mm. business now from your economic mm-hmm. or business background? I think that'd be really helpful to hear. I think that's a really good question. And I think for me, I definitely went through the, when I first started working in the space, it was very consumer centric. Mm-hmm. It was almost all of our content well a lot of our content the final delivery of it was either a you know what's called an activation where people can just come by at a movie theater or a press event or something and they try it out or we would actually have like home entertainment releases where somebody could download our content directly onto their playstation there's a lot of different stuff that goes into that kind of the core objective right you're trying to surprise and delight fans, mm-hmm. give them a little taste of the new new content. So when I was working in that space, I was very deep in development. I was very, very lucky. The team I was working on, the kind of leadership had a lot of trust in the team. Mm-hmm. So we were pretty small. We got to work on these really cool IPs like Spider-Man and Ghostbusters. And we had a lot of latitude to, you know, I wasn't just doing development and our art team wasn't just doing art mm-hmm. it was a lot of collaborative design work and and that was a lot of fun now in the kind of more enterprise b2b space where i where i spend most of my my days now <laughs> it's a little bit different i think when i transitioned from b2c to b2b there was a an overarching trend in the industry that you know i definitely think vr is an amazing consumer experience But I also think that the hype sort of began to fade on this idea that we were on the brink of virtual reality or augmented reality replacing the iPhone as a media, right? And so the enterprise space really was a place where the economics make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. You can look at a current problem that costs companies millions of dollars and very quickly you can rationalize a solution using VR or AR that will like immediately save them money or immediately help them with upskilling their workforce. So mm-hmm. I now spend my time mostly in that space. That was a big part of the reason why I kind of transitioned into the more enterprise facing space. And I do still get to roll my sleeves up occasionally and open up Visual Studio and jump into Unity and do some actual development work. But our team is much larger and the kind of continued support of a release product is is like a very different experience it's a big part of what i was looking for is mm-hmm. not just making something and releasing it but getting to kind of follow it through the life cycle so i spend a lot of my time now kind of shifting between trying to figure out what the next 12 to 18 months of development looks like for the team, as well as trying to help provide insights on the VR design side of things or the development side of things where appropriate. So, Yeah, a couple quick follow-ups there, I guess, from when you were in that B2C space and made those trailers or that kind of AR, VR entertainment content for those movies. What development platforms did you use? Did you already have the skills from your CS degree to learn those? Did you have to relearn or learn something new there? Um, I think you mentioned mm-hmm. Unity and Visual Studio. Yeah, how, how did you really learn how to do those or code those develop in those development platforms? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So having a, having a background in 
development uh, and having a degree in computer science definitely definitely helps. I think we did development projects both in Unity as well as in Unreal Engine. There's a couple other one-off things we used for augmented reality projects. We got to use Eighthwall. We worked with Facebook Spark, I believe is what they call their development environment, mm-hmm. Amazon Sumerian. There's there's like a bunch of different development platforms out there. The core of it is once you learn kind of like the core ideas of development, software development, object-oriented programming, stuff like that, mm-hmm. there's like syntax. There's like kind of the the programming equivalent of the grammar right Mm -hmm. Uh, of each programming language or each development environment but the core principles of how you put together a piece of software are are largely the same so when you're developing in unity you're using c sharp i had a decent amount of exposure to c sharp i had also spent a ton of time in java and c sharp and java it's a very easy gap to bridge and then um, we'd also done development in Unreal, which does allow you to do some development with, they have what's called a visual scripting platform called Blueprinting, which is, you know, you don't actually write code, you kind of logically connect things in a mm-hmm. node fashion. But then under the hood, it's it's C++, which mm-hmm. that's actually the first language I ever learned in programming. So I definitely had some previous exposure but then there's other platforms and languages that we worked on. Did some mobile web AR stuff. Got it. Using JavaScript and all kinds of different things. So it's it's really about, again, challenging yourself to remain flexible. Any opportunity that we had, even if we weren't fully committed on a project, if we had the opportunity to mock something up or build a prototype or a proof of concept, and it meant that we were going to get to play with some new platform or tech, we always kind of tried to jump on those things because it. it's always good to see what's what's possible. Yeah, that, that, I think that's helpful. Maybe we do a quick tangent here to just understand who exactly do you work with in this development cycle? So if you're kind of the developer, is there mm-hmm. a product manager? Is there uh, UI UX designers? Is there, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. art graphic designer people. Is that just a typical kind of, because I've heard development cycles for maybe web apps, right? Or other software products. Is it similar for this? I mean, it's not game development, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of entertainment slash game development. You're using these game development engines as well. So yeah. is it similar? And, you know, someone's kind of leading the whole thing. Someone's visually leading it. And then you're kind of developing mm-hmm. it too. Is that a very similar role yeah. in development cycle? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty fair summation of it. Um, I do think that even... It, it's a little different depending on what you're working on, but by and large, um, whether it's AR or VR and whether it's for B2C or B2B, whether it's like a consumer app or some enterprise piece of software, at its core, it is very, very similar to what I'll call like conventional game development mm. because you are using the same engines, you're using the same logic, mm. the same... Um, the same languages and you're using a lot of the same tools. So typically on a team, a lot of VR teams are really small just cause that's kind of the nature of the space still. Um, but so sometimes people are wearing a different combination of hats, but at its core, you'll have some kind of creative director or somebody who's in charge of making sure that the visuals 
and the logic of the kind of experience all flow together. You'll have somebody who's in charge of kind of executing that on an art side. So that's going to be like, depending on the size of the team, you might have an art tech director or you might just have technical artists. And they're not just, their responsibility is not just creating the art or making it look a certain way. A big, really important thing for game development, but especially mobile and VR and AR is optimization and performance. One thing that VR oftentimes get cri- gets criticized for, or especially early on got criticized for, was people would put on VR and they would think, hey, I'm hearing all about this being some revolutionary new gaming platform. And I put on a headset and it looks like PlayStation 2 graphics. Like what mm-hmm. the heck is going yeah. on? And And part of it is you have to remember that a normal video game on like a, a conventional video game on a PC or a console especially can be running at 30, maybe it's running at 60 frames a second. In order to maintain comfort within the VR environment, you need to guarantee that your refresh rate is closer to 90 hertz, 90 frames a second. Some of that the technology makes up for, but you really need to optimize as much as possible. Mm. And then on top of that, you're effectively rendering everything twice because you essentially have to push enough pixels for each eye. You know, you show a slightly different perspective for each eye. So in development, you really need to make sure that like, if you have uh, an object in the scene, every vert, every pixel of it needs to be scrutinized to say, is this important? Or is this like off in the background and it can basically just be a cube, right? So technical art is very, very important. And then on the development side, you have, sometimes you'll have like gameplay development just or experience development folks. um, And then you'll have kind of like core systems development. So it's, you know, and then there's music and sound and mm-hmm. it's it very much follows the same format as as a, a traditional game development studio. But just like indie game development or, you know, a lot of game studios, there's flexibility in where they kind of draw the line between roles. Yeah. But that's that's kind of the core core pieces. Got it. So, you know, before you mentioned when you went to your current role, you you. Mm-hmm. do a little bit of development here and there, but it seems like it's more commercial business side or maybe sales side, right? Kind of develop business mm-hmm. development side. What do you, what do you like more? And like, where do you see yourself focusing more in this space or from a functional perspective in this space in the future? Between development and everything outside kind of, of more, development. Yeah. Like business like, development. Yeah. yeah. That's really hard. I struggle with that sometimes. Um, Fortunately, fortunately and unfortunately in my current role, mm-hmm. I kind of ebb and flow between those. Okay. And when it works, it's great because I get to kind of scratch both itches. If both collide and I'm needed to support both kinds of initiatives at once, it can be, uh, it can be a lot. Mm-hmm. I really do like being able to focus on the full cycle, the full loop of us working with subject matter experts to develop the content Mm -hmm. to the design spec, to the delivery to initial customers, to then addressing customer feedback and how we can improve our, our future development. So I really do enjoy kind of being on the, I'll say the biz development side, but also like the kind of product management side of things. 
and then every now and then when the senior dev is busy and mm -hmm. somebody has a question and I can roll up my sleeves and, you know, jump in yeah. there and help with something. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. That's good. I, that's good. Every, I think it's yeah. the best of both worlds right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's good. Okay, cool. Balance. Sounds great. You got to find balance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's so much more detail we could go into and on like what you're doing, your roles and, and stuff, but mm -hmm. I want to, I want to make sure we have time for talking about the broader industry as a whole. So mm -hmm. I think right now, I want you to maybe expand a little bit about, because you've seen both spaces, right? Kind of the consumer, consumer mm -hmm. space, right? You have Meta, Snapchat, a lot of media attention from mm -hmm. a lot of big tech companies with you know existing or new AR, VR products, headsets. And then, as you said, maybe the more right now commercially viable space, the enterprise mm -hmm. B2B commercial space, um, which is obviously not covered by mainstream media. It's obviously very mm -hmm. diverse, right? You could have industrial applications, farm applications, medical, mm -hmm. um, right? All these different industries, when you think of enterprise, could potentially have, whether it's feasible or a good idea or not, they, 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 there's mm -hmm. a lot of spaces to explore from that perspective. So maybe give your, t I want to hear your take on where's the money trending here and what do you think about the key differences between consumer and enterprise space in the next five to mm. 10 years? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, the multi-billion dollar question, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think by and large, it has followed... I'll say one trend I think I I still am pretty confident in my my call and then one thing that's been a bit surprising but uh -huh. kind of makes sense. So I obviously have a well maybe maybe not obviously but I, I have a bias towards virtual reality given my my background as a gamer and my early experiences working within virtual mm -hmm. reality. One thing that kind of got lost, so there was an initial hype of virtual reality, and then it sort of got overtaken by this wave of hype for AR. And I think what was lost on a lot of people was the, the concept of VR and AR weren't new, but the scale that tech companies had achieved with the advent of mobile phone, smartphone development, the the density and price efficiency of really high pixel density screens, really high accuracy accelerometers, all of the tech that goes into an iPhone or a, a Samsung phone, those, it's the same reason why drones became a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Drones alone and VR alone weren't enough to justify anybody achieving the scale to package it down into a way that would work. But Oculus, as the kind of original leader of this more recent trend in consumer VR, recognized that, hey, the tech and the software have gotten to a point where we can actually put something together. And a lot of big enterprises already had multi-million dollar VR suites where they had all these hardwired devices and they had an entire room that was just computers powering it. And they were like $10 million machines that they used to simulate like what the new dashboard and a new GM car was going to look like. So it's not like new, but mm -hmm. it's way more accessible. And I think for me, virtual reality just delivers fundamentally a more worthwhile, or let me rephrase that a more rich experience a more rich 
escapism experience right mm -hmm. so as a gamer my entire life it's sort of like if you ask me would i rather be fully immersed in the video game i'm playing to the point where i kind of lose track of time and i'm so immersed yeah. with my virtual friends that's why i'm playing the game and if you mm -hmm. told me oh but you can also look around your space it just never it never clicked with me if i want to spend time and money to escape to another world i want to do it through virtual reality mm -hmm. so i am of the i'm of the belief that virtual reality I, I think both vr and ar have a place i think virtual reality is going to remain the kind of leader when it comes to immersive consumer tech consumer experiences and ar i actually think is going to become a behemoth in the prosumer productivity space right so the fact that hmm. you could replace a lot of your normal computer functionality your monitors your a lot of the things that you're doing in an office you could augment those dramatically with with ar overlays additionally things like training and on the job training the ability to have somebody remote assist you with a physical task is something that is truly unique in ar um, there's platforms that exist out there where you can be wearing a pair of head uh, like a headset you can be walking around a space somebody can be on the equivalent of like a, a zoom call with you and see what you're seeing and highlight things and point at things and call things out to you in real time so i think there's a ton of enterprise opportunity in ar the part that i think i wasn't fully expecting ar caught on to the hype way too early so everything i was talking about all the tech and the innovation that allowed vr to be available in like a couple hundred dollar headset that innovation wasn't really fully baked for ar and i would argue mm. it still really isn't fully baked the the optics the field of view like there's a lot of issues core problems with augmented reality that haven't yet been solved mm. and so i don't think it's fair the way that AR immediately then was compared to VR because it's just a more nascent tech. It's just kind of behind. I think it'll get there. There's a lot of obviously rumors brewing around things that Apple's working on and we'll see what all comes out. But I think ultimately AR is going to be a productivity tool. Um, I think there's going to be some fun things you can do with it, but I think VR will always kind of reign supreme with wanting to disappear to another place yeah that makes um, sense so yeah. vr more for the gaming the kind of immersive experience and, ar for more the enterprise that's kind of is that mm -hmm. your take how how I, is that an industry take yeah go ahead well i was gonna say and, and obviously one caveat on that one clarification because what i do right now i think in our industry, in, in the pharmaceutical manufacturing space, mm -hmm. there's definitely opportunities that as AR becomes better, we'll want to leverage AR in unique ways to do real-time training and provide real-time feedback to folks. But for what we do, being able to immerse somebody into a fully simulated environment, it is still going to be a VR use case. So I think the trend, the, that was the part that's surprising to me is that the lag yeah. between 
VR and AR is so big on the tech side that VR still a bit early on the consumer entertainment space, but I think it's sort of lapped AR in the enter in the uh, enterprise space. AR mm-hmm. is going to do a lot of catch up, I think, in the near future. I think as far as where the money's going, where the industry trends are going, there is definitely a fall off in consumer facing virtual reality development, both on the content and the hardware side. Um, PlayStation did just release their new headset. There's new headsets coming still. There's new content coming still, but there's no doubt that it's quieter now than it was. And I do think uh, Meta is a really interesting talking point because when Facebook did their rebrand to Meta, people talked about it as if it meant something. I don't really know how much it meant other than Mm -hmm. them wanting to (laughs) rebrand. But I do think one of the things that's really mischaracterized by people is I think even companies like Facebook slash Meta, which are largely seen as consumer facing companies recognize that there's way more opportunity right now in the enterprise space. So when people are talking about how is meta doing, how is meta development coming along and everybody wants to bash on the metaverse and they want to bash on Mark Zuckerberg hanging out in Mm -hmm. their VR meta space, whatever it's called. The reality is like the tools that they're building and the hardware they're building is really impressive. Mm-hmm. And even though we might not get to a hundred million active users on a game or a platform like we have on World Horizon, social media and whatever yeah. on Horizons, thank you. Yeah. Like even if that is a complete bust, I think a lot of people and the mainstream um underestimate how many functions how many use cases there are in the enterprise space Mm -hmm. and like the quick example i'll give is um one of the tech uh, the things i worked on right out of college we were we were training operating room nurses perioperative nurses uh and or surgical technicians right so these are the folks who like pass instruments to people and one of the hospitals we worked with told us that they brought in about 10 trainees who they paid a full-time salary as a registered nurse as they were training them. They spent a million dollars training these folks. Half of them would drop out of the program because their only practice environment was close to basically being in the OR with the surgeon and a life patient. So about half of them would drop out. Of those that made it through the program, about half of them would just choose to go back to being a regular registered nurse. Of the ones that remain, a couple would leave and go to another hospital. Mm -hmm. So you have hospitals that were spending a million dollars a quarter and getting one, maybe two trainees out of it. Hmm. So you look at things like that and the ability to arbitrage subject matter expert time into something that's more scalable and more replicatable is huge. There's so much improvement that can be made with helping people train. Um, And so I think the enterprise space is slowly the thing that is keeping VR alive right now. And I think a lot of ways AR. Is Meta, are these large companies 
looking into these spaces or are they just focused on developing that core technology? And then once that te- core technology is developed, you'll have a lot of startups kind of pop up mm-hmm. in every single one of those enterprise spaces. And then either they get consolidated, acquired, or, you know, wh- where do you see that trend going? I think that's a really good question. I think um, a lot of it is small, uh, small startups right now. The the core of it is the big companies are developing the tech and the platform. Mm-hmm. Some of them have taken steps towards trying to support that and and insert themselves into it. So both Facebook and HTC, for example, have platforms that allow you to distribute. VR content to headsets, monitor the use, update the content, recall the content and push new updates. Mm-hmm. The the way you would if you were an enterprise using, you know, you had a hundred VR headsets deployed around the world that people are using for training, you would want something like this to to monitor the system and to push updates because updating devices and coordinating with all your IT folks is kind of a a, a mess. So some of the big players have definitely taken steps towards trying to bridge that gap and and provide that connective tissue but i would say by and large because so much of what's needed is actually on the content side there's Mm -hmm. a ton of really niche bespoke content that and there's so much opportunity right i i would say if i were talking to anybody who's interested in getting into the vr the ar space Definitely. I mean, if you're interested and your passion is from the gaming side and you want mm-hmm. to try and do something fun and engaging, by all means, check that space out, play in that space. But if I were telling any, if I had to give advice to anybody on like, if you were to start a company in the VR, the AR space today, what's the most likely path to profitability and to a company that'll survive? It would be find a niche where there is a current where the current process for training for example or or, uh workforce management or whatever is is very expensive and costly uh and where there's some kind of risk right so construction pharmaceutical manufacturing working at a toxic plant working at a nuclear facility right all these kinds of things find something like that figure out how to partner with somebody in the space who desperately wants the solution, develop it in a way that you can deliver it to others. And immediately there's somebody who's going to pay you for that. Mm-hmm. Now you're not going to take over the world with just being the bespoke, you know, content provider for one, one sliver. But the reality is there's such an appetite. It's, it's changed a little bit, but meta was, uh, kind of a vacuum for talent, right? They were on this crazy hiring spree. Yeah. Uh, nobody entirely knows what they did with all of that, and they still have quite a few people there. Okay. Uh, like from the VR, you mean talent from VR AR development space? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then on the other side, you had a lot of companies that were traditional manufacturing companies, car comp, auto manufacturers, right? Who all wanted content and were struggling with either developing it themselves in-house or trying to work with third-party kind of like game development agencies. So I think it's a, there's a really interesting model of funding your indie studio by finding some enterprise need Mm -hmm. and building good content that addresses it. I think there's a ton of opportunity 
And that's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time to fully satisfy the need of content. So tech, honestly, I have not been, I have not been very surprised by any tech in the VR or AR space since the the most big, the largest step was probably like the Oculus Dev Kit Two, mm-hmm. right? So. The Oculus Dev Kit 2 was the last time that there was like a really monumental shift in adding a whole dimension. Okay. Since then, it's pixel density, it's resolution, it's form mm-hmm. factor, all these things that make it more approachable. But the reality is like the true innovation that's still needed is content. So much content. Like a hardware Everybody change in hardware. Content. Yeah, there, there's really... Uh, there's cool what do you mean by content? Things. Yeah. So, so there's been incremental improvements in the hardware the resolution and refresh rate have gotten better there is cool new tech like there's eye tracking that allows for Mm -hmm. this thing called foveated rendering which will be again a boost to performance and fidelity but nothing where like we couldn't do it before this new tech exists now we can hand tracking and haptic feedback are probably the bigger the bigger targets for that because again they can help with like quickly onboarding somebody in an enterprise kind of environment but the majority of what's needed if you looked if you surveyed business leaders all over the world and said what is needed for you to use this platform to help transform your business Mm -hmm. they might say oh gee i wish it was lighter or i wish it was wireless or i wish this or that or the other but at the end of the day if you can deliver a compelling value-added experience in virtual reality all of that stuff goes away Mm -hmm. none of that stuff matters if you can save me hundreds of thousands of dollars i don't care if i have to buy a ten thousand dollar desktop and vr headset and have a corner of my office set up for it, right? Yeah. So I think content is really the key right now Got in the it. VR space. Okay. So I think earlier we were talking about how you got into VR before that mainstream media hype cycle. Now it's it's AI, right? The past few months coming in, mm-hmm. ChatGPT, um, OpenAI launching that earlier this year. So my question is just, do you, do you see this changing the vr ar space is there any link between ai and vr ar just just broadly yeah i think that's a really good question and i think it's one that you know on face value it's sort of like trying to just link hype bubbles is there yeah exactly relation (laughs) i'm i like i said at the beginning when i was talking about the fact that i didn't like the rising wave of of froth and hype when in vr when i was in it because i like Mm -hmm. i don't like I'm I'm not a hype guy. I'm not like a a trend follower when it comes to that kind of stuff. It kind of worries me, right? I will say I think my hot take, one of the few mm-hmm. places where I'm probably more aggressive in my hype than what I'm hearing from the general uh kind of mainstream conversation. I actually think the killer app for augmented reality mm-hmm. is AI. Okay. I think the same thing I was just talking about where if if the headset is big and clunky in VR, but you've got good content, people will look past it. Yeah. I think the key for augmented reality is leveraging generalized AI where you can actually have value-added contextual augmentation of your reality. Because honestly, 
if I had to pick between visuals that look indistinguishable from reality in a headset mm -hmm. or a really crappy Google Glass or very first HoloLens type experience, but I could put it on and walk around in the world and it could tell me things based mm -hmm. on what I'm seeing. I would take the Google Glass HoloLens one in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, the biggest thing that's been missed is as much as the optics are behind and that can kind of get in the way, the core tech of AR, as much as it's about optics, is about having some level of intelligence that can actually augment what's happening to you in real time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of those things that I'm surprised I haven't heard it talked about more. There are okay. definitely folks who are talking about it, but I would say that's the thing to look out for in the space. If you can have chat GPT, you know, this is not actually correct, but if you could basically have ChatGPT seeing and hearing everything that's around you and contextually understanding, that's a huge, huge value proposition. So got it. Okay. My, so that's you're my saying, shot I'm calling. Yeah. Okay. That, that's interesting. I was going to ask for an example, but I mean, you kind of gave the example, like walking around in whatever application. I don't know. It's like visiting a new city and it's giving you a tour or yeah. even in your daily life. Imagine you had an overlay where you're walking around and you go to your your coffee maker. Right. And you go to pop open that I've got a uh, like an espresso thing and you okay. open it up and you pull open your drawer where you keep all your coffee mm -hmm. and there's not much coffee left. And it understands that there's not much coffee left. And so intuitively in that moment, it says, do you want to order more coffee? Or you should probably you're running low. You should probably order more coffee. Mm -hmm. Boom. That's actually as as dumb and simple That's as commercial. that is. Yeah. That is so much more valuable than like a lot of the stuff that they've been chasing. And I think there's a lot of that where what's needed for augmented reality to really add value to people's lives is mm -hmm. to further blur the line between the digital portion and the physical portion. Yeah. And the biggest problem is that as of now, most AR is only as intelligent as it's been pre-programmed. Right. So it's only right. like very, very specific image recognition or very, very specific things. But my goodness, if I could pop on a headset and it just like, I could look at my speaker and adjust the volume of my computer, or I could, you know, like look at the ceiling fan and turn on the ceiling fan, right? It's these sorts of things that are, that's where you're actually augmenting some new life. Okay. I see. And I think that's okay. going to be That's interesting. Key. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a unique future. Yeah. Okay. Well, th this was really interesting. I think last thing I want to do is, is get your recommendation on either your, your favorite podcast in this space, book recommendations, um, things you're watching out for, companies you're watching out for in this industry. Um, I'll include in the show notes here, but it'd be nice to see what what kind of things you you keep keep up with. That is a good question. I think I'm probably pretty bad at uh, at being a reliable, consistent follower on uh, industry trend stuff when it comes to like podcasts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm more of an entertainment person. So okay, random okay. shout out, uh, the dollop, uh, if you're looking for a good laugh, but I would say there's so much out there and the, the overlap between VR and game development and programming 
it's a really cool high tech space, but the barrier to entry is really, really low. You okay. can, you can, you can leverage resources and teach yourself and start to get exposure. I would honestly say this might be a controversial take, but for anybody who's thinking about getting into this space, my recommendation above any book would be to download Unreal Engine and leverage the Epic like learning portal mm. and just get in there and start playing with things because that will very quickly start to give you an understanding of, of what the tech can do and give you kind of that positive reinforcement that you can kind of will something into existence in, in VR and, and in game engine. So I would say that would be, probably be my number one recommendation for anybody who's interested in playing in the space is download, download Unreal Engine and, and uh, take a look at some of the sample content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get some from a development from the standpoint. Place and, yeah, but yeah, like, it's, do, you, it's, do you need to have a development background to be able to do that? Or just there, there's things for... Yeah, the cool thing with Unreal um, is you can, you can get pretty far with just blueprinting. And there's a good amount of tutorials out there. And so it'll at least get you to a point where you can wrap your head around how these things work. So that would probably be my number one recommendation. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. um, cool. Yeah. So yeah, let, let's wrap up, Jake. So I think thanks. Thanks again for coming on. This was really insightful. I think walking through not just your own career, how you got started, how you learned, you know, both from a development standpoint, computer science, technical standpoint, but also, you know, now you're in more of a commercial business space. We talked about the broader industry, your take on VR versus AR also within startups and then kind of what the big tech companies are doing right now. And then lastly, kind of how you think, you know, the world could be different, whether it's, it's AI coming in into AR um, or, you know, better hardware and content from a VR perspective. So I think it's been really interesting. Um, of course, I think there's so much more we could talk about and so much more that you know about the space too. So if anyone has any questions at all for Jake or want to hear more content in this um, area, please email please email me at careerchangingyour20s at gmail.com.